Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Okay, I think we are live. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And I'm with Peter. He's back there. And we're going to talk about part four of what you need to know before you get married. And even if you are married, these are probably good podcasts because there's a lot of good information here. If you want to understand marriage from a more biblical um, framework, then hopefully this podcast will help you out. Uh, the Running Light podcast usually talks a lot about sexual things. Um, we kind of put that a little bit on the back burner just to talk about um, marriage and kind of go through a premarital counseling kind of class with you guys. And um, there's always so much good information. And it's funny, but I think me and you would agree that we never kind of get away from these principles we're talking about. These are always things that we just keep going back to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's something that I've definitely learned in my Christian walk is that you never get away from the principles, from the foundations. You know, they, they become a little more clear over time and you get to explore them a little deeper, but they, they remain. Yeah, they're always, they're always there. They're the foundation of everything, huh? Yeah. Yeah, well, great. Well, we're going to talk about uh, a man's role because we're talking about men's roles. We've kind of looked at Matthew chapter 19 where it says that the two shall become one flesh. It's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. And um, it says there that God created them male and female. So uh, we talked about wives last week. Today we want to talk about husbands. And what is the main role of a husband? Uh, So the main passages we're going to be going over is once again going to be Ephesians 5. Uh, verse 25 and then we're also going to be in 1st Peter 3 verse 7 Uh, so those are going to be the main passages we're going to be going back and forth to to describe what a husband's role is in marriage Uh, but let's begin in Ephesians 5 25 Uh, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is following the instructions that Paul gives for wives to their husbands about submitting. And I think the most intriguing thing about his command to husbands is that it doesn't insert, he doesn't insert the words lead, guide, um, have authority over. Those things are not really there. Uh, he instead gives precedent to the idea of husbands loving, nourishing, cherishing, sacrificing for their spouses, uh, which I think is really interesting because you would expect Paul to say husbands must have authority over their wives, but he never does. And I think the reason for that is because if you're a leader and you have someone underneath you that doesn't want to be led and is not submissive, 
The only way for you to lead them at that point is to be um, authoritative and abusive. That's really the only way. If I'm a boss and I have an employee that doesn't want to work for me and is not submissive, I can, I can be as loving and caring as I want, but I'm never going to be that person's leader. They're never going to see me as their leader. Yeah. Uh, the only way that that's going to happen is if the paradigm shifts for them, where they're like, I want to submit to you. Um, but if I want that person to submit to me, I'm going to have to motivate that person through fear. And as a husband, that's really important for me to understand. If my wife is not submitting to me, um, I can't force her to. You know, I can't make her submit to me. Uh, if I do that, then all I'm really doing to her is I'm kind of abusing her. Um, I'm forcing her to do something that she really doesn't want to do. The wife's submission to the husband and therefore his leadership stems from the wife's desire to love God and to follow and submit to him in this way that he's given her. Um, the only way that I would see that a husband, that Paul mentions that a husband is to do that would be the one section where he says that he is to sanctify her with the washing of water by the word, meaning that the, it's the husband's responsibility to communicate the word of God to his wife and help her understand it. So that would be the one place that I would see that, that Paul's giving permission for a husband to ask for the wife to submit to him using the word of God. But again, if the wife refuses, there's nothing you can do as a husband. You cannot force her to do that. That's her decision before God. Yeah, one thing one thing about the roles and we wanna we wanna kinda look at twenty we'll look at twenty four, then we'll go to twenty five, twenty six, we'll kinda take this in order. Is that you know, the the instructions for us are no matter what. Meaning they are no matter what someone else is doing, we want to do this. Mm. Now now in, in the idea of the woman, it said, submit to the husband as unto the Lord. Mm. And so there's a chain of command. Just as Christ submits to the Father, the husband is supposed to submit, the man is supposed to submit to Christ, the wife is supposed to submit to her husband. Mm. If that chain of command is broken, mm. meaning the man doesn't submit to Christ, mm. then the woman, by all means, needs to submit to the Lord. She's not able to submit to her husband because the husband maybe is asking her to do things that are crazy, mm. you know. So there is, there is, all of us are submitting in some way. <laughs> so it's all contingent on this idea of submission. And just so you guys know that if you really want to look at a cool passage on submission and just understand it a little bit differently and I think a little more clearly, you're going to look to the book of James in the New Testament. Because James, when he talks about humility, he always links it with um, submission. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool. So when you think of humility, which if you ask a, a person, you know, should you be humble? Most people are going to say, well, yeah, that's a good quality. Mm -hmm. Well, submission is part of being humble. Mm -hmm. And... So you can read James chapter 4 and just circle the, the word submit and humble and you'll see those things there. Mm. Um, and you kind of see those, those in other places too. But let's take verse 25 and let's kind of pull that one out. Yeah. So you want to read it? So 
uh, to read it again, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So uh, we've talked about this before, but one of the things that is most beautiful about the Bible is it doesn't ever just use the word love. Hey, you just love each other. Because we live in a culture that says, you know, love wins and, you know, you're supposed to love everybody and just love and it'll all be good. Um, but the problem that we as human beings run into is we don't have a clear definition of love. So some people think that they're being very loving, but they're actually not. They're being very abusive. Uh, and so we have to, we as Christians, we say that there has to be a definition that we function upon that we say, no, I am definitely objectively loving or I'm definitely not. And the standard that Paul gives us is Christ. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. That's my standard for how I'm supposed to love and support my wife. Right. So love, love, again, love is not just a philosophy in Christianity. It is a person. Mm. So we can look to a person. And the husband is to look to Christ just as the wife is to look to Christ, for example, of submission. So, again, mm. we... The husbands are to look at Jesus Christ and go, wow, okay, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Mm. So I would say that that would be the very first commandment that Paul's giving husbands is the husband needs to be intimately aware of the life and, and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that means that a husband's number one responsibility as a husband is to study scripture is to be in scripture and is studying the life, death, and ministry of Jesus Christ to his people and trying to understand it. And not just in the New Testament, but throughout the Bible. Because the ministry of Christ, Jesus even said this, the ministry of Christ did not begin at Bethlehem, you know, when he was incarnated. The ministry of Christ began in the Garden of Eden, you know, all the way back in the book of Genesis and everything in between. So looking at the way that God relates to his people, how he loves them, is going to be very important for a husband to do because what did that what that's doing for me is it's renewing my mind as a man and realizing that no matter who you are no matter where you are no matter how you think and no matter what examples you've had in your life your view of love is distorted it's been distorted by the culture it's been distorted by movies it's been distorted by your family it's been distorted by your own heart but it's not in line perfectly with god's view of love and so you need to, I need to be intimately studying the life of God, the life of Christ, and let that change and shape the way that I look at my own uh, life and ministry with my own spouse. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this transforming process of my life, of loving my wife, comes from studying Jesus, from beholding him, yeah. from looking at him. Yeah, it's such a good point uh, about studying the Bible. How many of us guys are lazy out there, huh? Anybody? You know, where a lot of a lot of guys are, you know, where we don't, want to study the Bible. We don't want to worship God. We want to just do our own thing. Or we think just, you know, hey, if I know a few things, I'm good. Um, where life is challenging. Mm -hmm. And and learning, learning, having an example is everything. Um, everybody's being mentored by somebody, mm -hmm. whether they know it or not. 
everybody is. And, and Jesus is our mentor. He is the one who we're looking for. I mean, gosh, why, why do we, as guys, want to stop pornography? Mm. You know, why do we want, why can't we just go up? Ah, you know what, so what? Mm. So what? Because we read about love. Yeah. And we read about what Jesus' love is like. And we can't seem to fit it in there. <laughs> you know, pornography just can't seem to fit in. So when I'm sitting there masturbating, to another woman um, or man having sex and I'm watching them having sex and it can be whoever it's just you know it's anonymous people (laughs) we have no clue you know it it, in my heart the Holy Spirit says and and, and it compares and the Holy Spirit brings up love is this loving Hmm. sure sure scientifically masturbation might be great (laughs) for you it might help in every way relieve stress help your body eliminate stuff uh, relax your organs i don't know you know (laughs) there's many things whatever psychologist whatever psychologist you're saying nowadays that's right and it's going to change believe me everything does (laughs) in science and pseudoscience (laughs) um but you know no matter what you read on this about how good it is, there's something to the Christian who takes seriously this call as a husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And I go, man, would Jesus do something like this? <laughs> you know? And I think, I, I don't know. Would he look to another bride, another woman? Would he, you know, find pleasure in another Um you know, these type of things. And, you know, the answer I get from the scripture is, is no. It's no. Yeah. And so, so that's what we're doing. Even on that issue of pornography is, is, is though it, it sure, I might not be hurting anybody. I'm just doing something on my own per se, mm. you know, um, that kind of thing, you know, it still to the, to the serious Christian, we have to battle it because we just go, man, you know, is this really loving? Am I just seeking my own here? Um, and, um, and love does not seek its own and Jesus does not seek his own. Mm. So we can interchange biblically Jesus with love mm. in the Bible. So every time it says love, we could use the word um, when it's talking about like what love is, mm. we could substitute Jesus. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. And and I think that that's really important to understand because when you look at the Bible, you see that the Bible has, its view of love is very multifaceted um, because Jesus is a, is a multifaceted individual. He's very complex. He's not simple. And when you look at the way that he acts and the way that he reacts, you see that the, the definition of love is not as simple as we try to make it. Um, let, me, let me just pull out a couple of the modern day interpretations of what love could be for a person and show how Jesus shows that it's more. So in our day and age, we have this view of love that love is tolerance. So in order to love another human being, you have to just tolerate them and everything that they do. Um, So if I'm going to be loving a drug addict, I just go up to him and be like, you're the best. You're awesome. I love you. I care about you. There's not, you know, I don't bring up any of the wrong things that they're doing. I just, I just love and I love and I love and I love on them. 
But when I study the life of Jesus, is that how he loves people? There are some people, when you look in the Bible, that Jesus did give a level of love that it's unexpected. Like, for instance, the woman caught in adultery. You know, a woman who is directly in their sin at the moment where Jesus finds her. And what does he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. But then he says, but go and sin no more. Meaning that Jesus' love for her did not prevent him from calling her out of her bad behavior. And so you see there that it's like tolerating someone is not necessarily consistent with love. In fact, in Proverbs 27, verse 7, it says, The wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Mm -hmm. So it means that to actually tolerate bad behavior in another human being and not say anything about it actually makes you their enemy in a lot of ways. And we see that from Jesus. So as a husband, for me to love my wife means to love her and to care about her, to be gentle with her as Jesus is gentle with his church, but not to shy away from showing negative behavior patterns within my spouse. Um, and there's a way to do that, right? There's a loving, caring, gentle way to do that. And how do I figure out what that loving, caring way to do? Read Jesus, right? Read how he confronts people, how he forgives and how he loves and how he still holds them accountable to what they need to do. Um, uh, I think a really great example would be the rich young ruler. It says the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and Jesus, what good thing must I do in order to be saved? And Jesus, it says that he looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, you know, you must keep all the commandments. The guy said, I've, all, I've done that since my youth. And then Jesus says to him, sell all your goods, give them to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven, come and follow me. And the rich young ruler didn't do it because mm. it said he had great possessions. So Jesus calling him out was an act of love for him, not an act of hatred. Um, I'll take another one. Some people would say that loving someone would just be simply serving them. So it's like, so I, I love God, so I just simply serve him. And I do his commandments, and, that, and that's love. So I love my wife, so I just, you know, I work my job. I come home. I do my 9 to 5. I, I come provide. home. I provide. And I take care of her. What more does she want from me? You know, I mean, that's love, right? Well, when you read about Jesus, does he provide for his children? Of course he does, right? He takes care of us. He serves us in many different ways. And in fact, in that passage that we just read, it says loving his wife and giving himself for her. So part of Jesus' love for us was in sacrificing his body for our salvation. And giving us his Holy Spirit. And giving us his Holy Spirit to, to protect us and to fill us and indwell us and provide for us. Yeah, so absolutely service is part of Jesus' love. But, but when you look at Jesus, he was a passionate person. Uh, a couple passages that stand out to me in the, New, in the Old Testament would be Zephaniah 3.17, where it says, The Lord rejoices over his beloved with singing. Um, in the Song of Solomon, which many theologians have always seen as an allegory between the love of God towards his people Israel, um, the, the man who represents God, Solomon, representing God in this moment, says to his wife many different intimate things to her. Things like, you are a lily among thorns, right? Just complimenting her and loving her and cherishing her and nourishing her and, and affirming to her love over and over again. If you read the Song of Solomon and you get out of it, loving just means service. I don't know really what book you're reading. Yeah, meaning there's a passionate part of it. It's not just the duty That's right. of serving. That's so right. love can't just 
Lo love, God's love, what we learn about God's love is that it's not just l serving your wife mm. in day-to-day in -day operations. <laughs> and, you know, and that's what we got, I think, a lot growing up when you watch TV back in the 80s. You know, you'd watch some shows that were older than our generation, actually, but they were, they were still showing, they were still airing. But you got this idea that people went to work, came home, provided, sat in their chair, put on the paper, you know, opened up the paper, had the TV going, yeah. and the wife was like, "Hi, honey, you're home." <laughs> and he was just, he was like, "Hey, Martha, you know, uh, is the steak ready yet?" You know, and, and it was kind of like this kind of dutiful actions, you know, but you didn't really find a very passionate man. You know, I, I don't remember seeing the man painted as a very passionate guy. And that was considered feminine back then. Yeah, that his service was like he would come home and be yeah. like, man, I love you, Mary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> give me a hug. You're the best. That would be a very feminine guy back in the day to the older generation. Yeah. Someone actually, you know, when you watch certain older shows, when there are men that act like that, and whenever a man like that acts like that, they're always made fun of. They're mm. always like, man, that guy's a sissy, can't take, of his own, take care of his own. He's supposed to be a man. He's supposed to be strong. And that right there should show you where are these men getting their examples of love from? Well, it's from their fathers, from their culture. Where when you look at Jesus, was he like that? Was mm. he just this stoic, like, dude who just yeah. never, never cracked a smile, was never passionate? I mean, you read things about Jesus in the New Testament of him weeping with Mary at the funeral of her brother or about John the apostle leaning on his breast and them just having that intimate communion and fellowship with one another yeah. and you're like that's definitely not like a that's definitely not what we would consider you know back in the day of like a manly man you yeah know, you know you don't think of Jesus like like you would think of like um, Socrates mm. or Aristotle you know, when I think of those guys, you know, I kind of think of like a stoic philosopher. Just great thinkers. Just know? great thinkers that kind of ponder and they're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're thinking through everything. It's so deep. They're pontificating on everything. <laughs> you know, and, and Jesus, you don't see him as this great pontificator. Mm. You don't see him as a great philosopher. Mm. You know, he's not sitting there pontificating <laughs> why and what and, you know, all these things. He is acting out these things. Mm. He is the embodiment of the actions. Anything that Aristotle and Socrates wrote that was cool and good, Jesus didn't have to talk about it. He was it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he acted it out. Yeah, he lived it. He lived it. On a and daily. Yeah, and that's how, that's how he was. So, so you're saying passion is, has to be part of love too. Yeah, it's got to be. So if I'm a husband and I think like, well, I'm loving my wife because I'm providing for her, um, that's good. And we'll, we'll talk about how our culture's kind of lost that actually and how it is a bad thing. But um, what I'm saying is that it's not that that's bad. It's that it's missing a component. Yeah. That if you're not willing to be emotional with your wife, if you're not willing to be vulnerable with her, and to, to talk to her and do romantic things and be passionate with her and to pray for those things. Be like, God, give me a passion for my wife. And to see her as like that lily among thorns, to see her the way you see me and to just be delighted into her and to have, have joy and have intimacy and have fun. And just like, those are things that you should be praying for as a husband, you know, because those are deeply important for a marriage to function, just as important as being that provider and being that protector that y we tend to think of as, as being loving, which is 
but it's just missing a part. Yeah, and some guys are not naturally like that, and and so some guys go, I it's just a real struggle for me to be that way, and and that's okay. Nothing's wrong with you know just coming to God and praying about that, because mm. um, we're not saying like you know for guys to be like all. Oh, you know, like, oh, I'm not, you know, I got to be passionate every day. And <laughs> I just got to, you know, that's, you know, because a lot of men aren't like that. Yeah. They're just, they just aren't like that. Mm. Um, and we certainly don't think Jesus was this like sappy individual yeah. <laughs> that was. He definitely wasn't a sissy. Right, right. The sissy guy, he was certainly um, strength under control. Mm. And um, I mean, he was a carpenter, man. This guy worked with his hands. He built stuff. A lot of men can understand that. Mm. You know, they've worked with their hands. They've labored. Um, they get tired mm. um, and exhausted and come home after a long, hard day. Mm. Um, and they don't think of like, oh, you know, sappy, you know, <laughs> I love you. You're the best. You're the lilies in my field or whatever, <laughs> you know. But it's 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 coming to God and saying, God, with the character that you've given me, the temperant, tem- temperament that I have, mm. you know, help me to be passionate for my spouse you know and to let my spouse know that i am there and i've seen a lot of really cool manly men Mm. you know that are just the the manly men you know these guys are the hardcore workers these guys are the guys that are working on big equipment and yet they 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 have such a strength to them Mm. but i've seen them so beautifully soft to their spouse Mm. you know so beautifully kind and and there's something really cool about that when you have this big dude who's very smart and you know um you know works hard sweats hard and yet is very gentle with his wife and that's good because that is so Christ's influence on people like that because again when you look at Jesus you see both sides mm-hmm. where you definitely see a very strong powerful person when he's going into the temple and he's flipping tables and he's yelling at the religious leaders for uh, putting people astray you know you very definitely see a very strong messiah when he is you know even when he's being beaten and tortured he just takes it you know he takes it and he doesn't cry like a uh, like a baby you know he takes it and he does it for his beloved and he even prays for those who are doing it to him you know you definitely see that strength in him Uh, But then you also see that softness to him, too, that gentleness. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us as husbands to learn that there is a balance, that you need to have both. And and so you might have a temperament, and this is where I'm getting at with our culture, where our culture tends to now, we very much value the idea of more, you know, emotional, passionate uh, individuals. Well, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But I'm saying that you shouldn't have that in exclusion to the strong provider that you need to be as a man. Mm. So uh, in our culture, it's like, you know, I, I love my wife because I care for her and I do this and I do that. And you see these very, you know, and they have those feminine qualities and they're willing to be soft with their wives and they're willing to be gentle. And it's really cool, but they don't step up. You know, they're, 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 these are men that are, are afraid to lead their wives. When their wives are doing something, they're afraid to say, honey, you know, that's not good, you know, and to confront and to protect, you know, yeah. when something's happening to your wife to, to, to instead of being like, well, you know, it's the world, but to stand up for her. And that's another interesting idea is that love, biblical love. And, and when we again, we're talking about Jesus, who is the embodiment of love. 
in our example. Also accompanies hate. Hmm. And that's that's something that a lot of people go, what? Hmm. That sounds ridiculous, Bo. How can love have hate in it? Hmm. But I think of John, you know, chapter 12. And Jesus says this, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So really, if you really love your life, you're going to lose something. And then he equates it to hating your life in this world, which is what you're losing, the world. Yeah is the way you really love. So he kind of reverses it in the second part of the verse. Yeah. You know, yeah. he just puts it a different way. Yeah. You know, but if you hate your life in this world, which is loss, now you love, then you're loving. That's loving because now you're gaining. Yeah. And so think about it. Th I think about it all the time. Do I really hate this? You know, think about it. If you don't hate adultery, then can you love your spouse mm. in a in, in a christian worldview yeah and I, I think that god you know he he says it so beautifully in jeremiah chapter 2 about this balance of hating while loving and he says in jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2 he says go cry in the hearing of jerusalem saying thus says the lord i remember you talking to israel i remember you the kindness of your youth the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. So you see that gentleness of God, right? Where he's like, dude, I betrothed myself to my people and they were beautiful and they were kind and you went after me. And he says, you were holiness to me. Holiness just means set apart. Where God says, dude, I had a love for you that was exclusive. That was different than any other person that I loved on this planet. And he says, you were the first fruits of increase to me. And then get this. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them. Now I'm reading out of the New King James. I think some of the other translations like the NIV and the NLT render that better. But basically what God is saying, and you can kind of hear it even in the New King James, is that anyone who would go against Israel is God's enemy. And he's saying anyone will offend. And in, in, the, in the Hebrew, that was actually a pretty strong term of God saying, like, I'm going to hate you. Like, I'm going to come against you. I'm going to fight you if you come against my people. And you see this happen in the Old Testament, where when nations were to attack Israel, God would say, like, dude, you have touched the apple of my eye, and I will not forgive. And he would go after them. So you see that God hated certain people in order to love his bride. And Malachi even puts it this way. He says, Jacob, who became Israel, I have loved, yet Esau I have hated. Why? Because Esau threatened Jacob. He threatened Israel, the people that God loved. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that God doesn't love the world. He does. And you see him loving the world in a very special way. But what it means is that the love that God has for his people has always been very special and different and unique. And because of that difference of love, he does protect his people and he does attack those who come against them. So as a husband, it's okay for me to love the world, just as Christ does, but I must protect my wife. Yeah, and the idea, when you think of hate, a lot of times we associate that term with um, like a violence. Mm. 
which that's not what the Bible is referring to in its language. It's referring to a loving less, meaning it's referring to a valuing system. Mm. So when it says like God hates or uh, Esau, or it's talking about Jesus saying hate the world, it's not saying walk around and like go, oh, the world sucks. And <laughs> you know what I mean? People of the world suck and politics sucks and everything sucks. And well, maybe politics, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, like these type of things, having that kind of real negative attitude, because a lot of times we associate hate with the real negativity. Mm. And it's not what it's saying. It's, it's, not, it's not what it's meaning. It's saying value the world less. Mm. If you value the world more than me, then, you, you know, then that's going to have your heart. Mm. That's going to pull you in that direction. So issue, it's a worship issue. It's all about worship. You know, what has your heart? Mm. And, and if I don't love if i'm not if uh, let me say it this way the pr when i'm not loving my kids it means that i'm worshiping something else that i find more valuable than them yeah um you might not think it's worshiping but you are you're that's what, how the bible would put it mm. that we are worshipers all human beings are worshipers we were made to worship and so we bow down to something. We will serve anything. Mm. And that's what the fallen nature has done. It's created in us a, a, an idolatry of worship. That's what we did in the Garden of Eden. We worshiped an idol. And now we continue to do that. Mm. So that's what a husband can do when he's not um, loving a wife he is what he's doing is he's worshiping something else so whatever issue we have as husbands mm -hmm. it can be issues of pornography or, or of other women or of uh, whatever or sports or money or those are issues of those are worship issues mm -hmm. down to the root mm -hmm. you know so spiritually speaking that's how we look at things it's all about worshiping so, again, why is pornography a, a problem for us? Why, it's not that we don't struggle with doing it, because we do. Yeah. But it's, why, do, uh, why does a Christian go, man, I can't just say, hey, it's fine, it's okay. You know, I'm just going to keep doing it, it's fine. I'm not. Right, why do we fight it? Because we know it's a worshiping issue. Mm. I, am, I, am, I am pulled towards something that, instead of being pulled towards my spouse... Mm. Are, are you know pulled in another direction yeah. and, that, and that worship issue seeing it that way is so cool John Piper's got a great um, illustration for this where he says the way that we get things in the proper order we love things in the right order is he says it's like the solar system where the reason why the planets are in the proper order is because of the mass and the weight of the centrality of the sun yeah. And he says, that's how God needs to be in your life. When you put God first, he naturally orders things correctly. So it's not like I'm, I'm in my life, like, am I worshiping that too much or that too much? But when I focus on God and I worship him supremely, he puts my wife second automatically. Right? That's something that just happens. That's why it's, it's nonsense when I hear from some men. And even when I think these ways, it's nonsense. It's foolishness. When I say, like, well, you know, I love God. You know, but, you know, I have, I have an easy time loving God, but, you know, my wife could be kind of a drag. It's like, that's a nonsense statement. 
it's a nonsense statement. Because how can you love God and not love his daughter? You know, not love the woman that he brought to you and orders you to love, commands you to love in a way that reflects his love for the church. You know, that's that's a complete nonsense statement. Or how can you say like, well, yeah, I'm really loving my wife, but you have no care or concern for the fact that you're cheating on her or the fact that you're not providing correctly for her or taking care of her needs correctly or tending to her correctly. You can't say I love her and not and be neglecting these areas because the Bible says that's not love. Right? That's not reflecting the nature and qualities of Christ. That's not going after him. But when you put Christ first, when you behold him, is what we're saying, then you become like him. Right? You go after him, which is why, again, Scripture becomes the centerpiece. Yeah, maybe, and it's step-oriented, obviously. It's, uh, it's not just like, you're like him. Yeah. And, and, and every day you're like, oh, I'm like Jesus, <laughs> you know. But it's, 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 he is, when we say beholding him, what we're saying is that we are putting him on a, on a value system now that's above other things. Mm. So, you know, again, I always revert to the porn analogies, but when you, you know, when you go to porn, you know, th- there's something in me that just goes, no. Mm. And the thing that's in me that says no is is this idea of love of Christ of beholding Christ mm. um, and I can't seem to jive that mm. or uh, with with Christ mm. I can't seem to just go oh okay this is just another function like I can't put watching porn and just having a, a and self-gratifying in the same um, physiological way of eating food to get nutrients and some people put it like that. Some people say, oh, well, just as you eat food, because you need to. So, you know, hey, you need to release some stress. So, you know, and, and masturbation's good for that. So it's okay to watch porn and masturbate, because it's good for you, just like the food's good for you, too. Right. And they put it like, I can't seem to drive those things, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because if you don't eat, you die. But if you don't masturbate, you don't die. You know? Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, and I think of, you know, involved of looking at someone else and, and even though it doesn't matter who you're looking at, meaning it's not like you're looking at someone specifically because it's them, it can be anybody interchangeably, right. you know, in pornography. But it's just the fact that you are looking at someone else. Right. You know, and is is there, to a Christian, there's something that should be exclusive, mm. you know, and and special. And this is the type of verbiage that you're reading in Jeremiah 2, where God sees Israel as special. Uh, and God wouldn't, you know, gaze upon another. Yeah. That He has called him a special people, His inheritance, mm. Exodus nineteen, His treasure. Yeah. And so that's how God sees them. Right. And so this is how we as husbands get this, and where we start going, ah, you know. So if you're playing too many sports, your recreations where you're out, you know, you're playing golf all the time, whatever it is, and you're wife doesn't see you much right that would be something that we would look at and go hey my value system's off mm. and that's and that's what love does love love is always going hey uh it's balancing everything it's saying hey is this value system um really lined up properly with jesus mm. you know right. so um we're gonna end there right now with with 25 verse 25 of Ephesians 5 with guys 
and we'll work on 26, 27, and on. Probably First Peter three, hopefully. Too. Yeah, yeah, in the next in the next Goodness. podcast. So yeah. we're gonna really hit on the guys. You ladies thought we really hit on submission maybe a lot, and you thought, man, that was kind of that was hardcore. Well, we're really gonna hammer on uh, the men um, when it comes to this issue of of uh, marriage. Um, so if you have any husbands out there. These, these podcasts are recorded, obviously, and they're saved on our Facebook page at Running Light. And you guys should start listening to them. Um, you know, encourage your husband to listen to them. And uh, hopefully they get some good stuff out of them. You can always uh, listen to the audio podcast just on your phones. I go to, I, I, um, I'll, I'll show you guys kind of which, which uh, um, service I use, um, just so you know. It's called, I don't know if you guys can see this, but it's right Wait, it's always opposite. Um, right there, podcast addict. That's the one I use. I'll blow it up. Right, look at right there, podcast addict. I don't know if they can see that. Yeah, right there. <laughs> anyway, but that's the one I use. And you just look up Running Light. Um, let it search in the iTunes Store because you can find it there too. Running Light Ministries, and and that way you guys can listen to it when you're working out, when you're pumping iron and getting strong, or you're just at the house doing some vacuuming. Put it in. Um, put the headphones on and listen to the podcast. Have your husband do it, man. It would be awesome. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do another one next week. And uh, we'll see if maybe we can do two podcasts next week. That would be good. Maybe try to kick them out a little quicker. So you guys take care. Thanks for listening, okay? We appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys soon. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.